Welcome to Interviews with Innocence, a podcast about spirituality, consciousness, and exploring the wisdom our children bring into this world. I believe that our very young children are our greatest teachers. After all, they're the masters of living in the present moment, bubbling in unconditional love, enjoying the messiness of life, and curious about the universe in all its dimensions. The pure essence that young children exhibit lives within all of us. My hope is that these interviews will help us discover, embrace, and connect with the sacred core of childhood that resides within each of our hearts. I am your host, Marla Hughes. Today, I am honored and thrilled to have Sandy Eisenberg Sasso on the show. Sandy served as senior rabbi of Congregation Beth El Zedek, Indianapolis, Indiana, from 1977 to 2013. She is currently the director of the Religion, Spirituality, and the Arts Initiative at IUPUI Arts and Humanities Institute. Dr. Sasso received her BA and MA from Temple University. She was the first woman ordained from the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College in 1974 and received her Doctor of Ministry from CTS in 1996. What, what is CTS, Sandy? It's Christian Theological Seminary. Got it. Um, oh. It's a seminary in Indianapolis. Great. And um, Sandy is the author of many nationally acclaimed children's books. And uh, this is what I want to talk, talk about today because I'm so, this is so needed in, in our world. And she, um, she's also had many publications on children's spirituality, including the International Journal of Children's Spirituality. Who knew there was a journal? <laughs> now we know. <laughs> and she also was on the, she had an interview with Krista Tippett on the spirituality of parenting, which has been heard all around the world. So I encourage you to go onto YouTube and listen to that. So welcome, welcome to the program, Sandy. I'm delighted to be here. Yes. Um, it's, it's so great to know you're in Indianapolis because as you know, I'm from Indiana and my home, my, my twin sister actually um, works at Indiana University. So yeah, yeah. So she's there at kudos go out to her because she's a nurse practitioner. So she's trying to keep the students and the faculty healthy and, and obeying, <laughs> obeying, that's not a great word, but following, following the rules. So Sandy, tell us a little bit about you, your, you know, your childhood and how you began considering entering the um, rabbinic, how do you, how do you say that? Rabbinical? Rabbinic? Uh, entering a rabbinical seminary, entering the rabbinate. Yes, yes. At age 16, was it? Well, that's when I decided that I'd like Okay. To so tell us about that. So I grew up in a synagogue in Philadelphia, uh, Congregation Kenethis Israel, which was a reformed congregation. And I admired the rabbi there greatly. I was mm. very involved in youth group. Uh, I ended up often conducting services for my youth group, giving little sermonettes at the time. 
And when I was confirmed, when I was 16 years old, uh, completing 10th grade, there was a special service on Shavuot, uh, in which all the students in that class would be, quote unquote, confirmed. We had 120 students in our class, which is a very large wow. number given today's uh, audiences, right? Um, and I remember that service being very powerful for me. And I can recall very vividly coming home uh, after that service, going into my room, sitting on the edge of my bed and saying, I want to be a rabbi. Wow. Now, often people will say, well, when were you called? <laughs> and I don't think of myself being called from outside, but I certainly was being called from inside. Something was really uh, happening internally, spiritually, that was pushing me to consider this. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. And I think, I think that most often those messages that when you're called from within, that's when you know it's it's the real thing you know when you just when you just feel that so so you've written all these like wonderful children's books and i'd like to i'm really intrigued by by your interest in how you got in, involved how you became involved in in working with children so is it it is an interesting journey. So when I started working in a congregation, particularly when I came to Indianapolis, I had worked at a synagogue for three years before I came to Indianapolis, where I uh, also worked with my husband in the same synagogue. And I started to lead family services and started to tell stories. And the interaction uh, with kids in storytelling really grabbed hold of me mm -hmm. and I started to explore the whole art of storytelling. I just felt there was something there that reached children and I discovered later, of course, also reached adults Yes, um, that I, I wanted to grab hold of. And that's really how I got started in trying to write for children. And then I was taking a class uh, for my doctor of ministry in religion and children and I recall uh, being asked to write, you know, an academic paper. And I was thinking to myself that I could not do that uh, because I just didn't want to write an academic paper. <laughs> so I said to the professor, would you mind if I tried to write something about God for children? Because that's what I find missing. Everything about God that I read in children's books is, just not anything I can use. Yes, <laughs> read, yes. Read to my, the kids in the synagogue, read to my own children. And I was very fortunate to have a wonderful professor who said, go ahead, you know, you right. know, try your hand at that. I'd never written a children's book before. And so I wrote this story, which is called God's Paintbrush. Yes. And of course, it took many, many years. So six years later, it became my first children's book. Wow. And I love that book because it's so interactive that you, you know, you're actually asking children to, to draw things or talk about things. So, so tell us about that a little bit, what you, 
um, you say you don't, you'd like love to story tell, but it's the conversation and maybe give us a couple of examples of what's opened up with, you know, young children when, when reading your books. So uh, actually God's Green Push began before the assignment with a story about my own daughter uh, who was five at the time. And I recall her coming home from, she was going to day camp, uh, Jewish day camp in Indianapolis. And she came home one day with a picture uh, of a lovely looking grandfather figure. And I said, oh, you know, that's just lovely. Could you tell me, you know, something about the picture? And she said to me, oh, oh yes. You see, they asked us to draw a picture of God. And she looked at me and, you know, here I am, a woman rabbi talking right. about Jewish feminism all the time. And she says, don't worry, mom. I know God's not a man, but <laughs> <laughs> at first I gave them a blank page and they said I had to draw something. And this was the only thing I could think of. So at first I was impressed, a blank page. She knew you couldn't actually draw God as right. a figure and she had this abstract thinking. And then I thought, that's ridiculous. I mean, she's five years old. And when she had to conjure up a concrete image of transcendence or the divine, all she could come up with was this great grandfather. And that's what made me think about creating a different way of talking about God? And could we provide other colorful images that um, would be good for children to explore where or when God is in their lives? Right. So, we so the book is a, little bit, uh, a series of vignettes that talk about finding God in the everyday experiences of a young child, like learning to ride a bicycle for the first time, like a friend moving away from town, like getting lost in a big department store. And how do we find God in those places? And I don't really give the answers, I ask the questions. Right. So after each vignette, there is a question, you know, um, and that question is meant to encourage a conversation about the divine transcendence, God in your lives. And I have to say the most, uh, the best part of the book, the book that children say they like, the best part has to do with the questions. Yes. Because they want to have a conversation. I, I had a parent once tell me I wanted to rush through bedtime and I was reading God's paintbrush, so I decided to skip the questions. And <laughs> my daughter said, no, Dad, ask the questions. I love it. You know, kids really want a conversation and we shy away from that conversation, either because we think they can't understand uh, concepts as big as God, or because we really don't know what we believe. Yes. And so we're not going to chance it with our kids. Right. I know you said um, in an interview that I listened to that many times adults are scared that they won't have the answers, but you don't need the answers. You just need to be willing to explore the questions. I love that with the children. It's beautiful. So how do we... Um, how do we nourish nourish the spiritual lives of children? And, and with the said, I 
I also love that you use the term, it's, it's just not Judaism, it's, it's spirituality, it's, it's for all children. And I, I, I just so need it, and I just love that. So how do you suggest that we nourish the spiritual lives of children? Well, I'm going to answer by saying, first, we have to nurture our own. Yes. And until we can get in touch with what gives meaning to our lives, what nourishes our souls, uh, what we mean by the spiritual life, it's really hard to share that with children. And I, I'm going to give you an example. When I went to my first children's spirituality conference, oh, quite a number of years ago, and we were asked to do an exercise. We were told to be quiet for a few moments, go find a private space, and think of the first time we had an experience of the divine. And I was a bit resistant because I, w I wanted to make a list of how do you nourish the spiritual lives of children? One, <laughs> And, you know, I'm thinking, I'm wasting my time by coming. But I followed directions, and I must say, I pulled up a memory that was deeply meaningful, meaningful for me and that helped me understand what it meant to nurture children's spiritual lives. So uh, the experience had to do uh, with my dad. Uh, we used to go down to uh, the Atlantic Ocean, Atlantic City, outside of Philadelphia every summer. And we would rent a home and we would spend days on the beach. Um, my father would only come on the weekends because he worked in Philadelphia during the week. And I used to love to play in the waves. Uh, until one day I was toppled by a large wave and I, I felt the pull of the undertow. And then I became afraid of the ocean. So he would come down on the weekends and he noticed that I no longer went to play in the waves. You know, I just stood on the edge. Right. <laughs> this is not necessarily such a friendly place, I thought. And he didn't say a word. He just picked me up in his arms and he carried me over the waves. Uh, until I felt secure enough to be able to go in the water again. Uh. And that, to me, recalling that experience taught me more about God than all my theology textbooks. So nurturing the spiritual lives of children has to do with creating those experiences. The mm -hmm. experience that... Um, that have touched us deeply and have moved us to new places. And those experiences often have to do with particular place. Like I can still see that beach. They have yeah. smells. I can still smell the salt water. They have taste. I still taste the vanilla custard that we used to get yes. at the time. You know, uh, the sounds of the ocean. I mean, all of these pieces go to creating these experiences. So they are not out of these world experiences. They're everyday experiences that we create for our children and come to acknowledge them and value them. Yes. It took me a long time to recall this because nobody ever told me these stories. But if we can help kids acknowledge these experiences and help create uh, those times for them, then we will, are touching a deeper part of their lives. Right. And it seems to me by acknowledging and, and 
them understanding that that is a touch of the divine that they are able to find it maybe in even more experiences and really appreciating it. So I think, uh, so there are, you can also speak of other uh, elements that go into nurturing spiritual lives. And one, of course, is storytelling. Yes. Tell the powerful stories that touch a deeper place in them and having conversations about those stories. So if we can tell stories, we help our kids grow up. Right. And the other thing is also participating in rituals because rituals enable us to stop and take moments that become familiar and routine that say not all time is the same. There are special times in our lives and in our day and in our week, which we mark by uh, creating certain rituals. And children value those deeply. I mean, mm. I will remember as a young mother, you know, saying Shabbat prayers with, you know, my kids growing up. Mm. I can't say they were always perfectly behaved. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't understand that for sure. <laughs> and so, you know, there were moments I thought, oh, great, we're lighting the candles, we're saying the blessings, we're, you know, yeah. giving each other a hug, and they're ready to go off to do something else. And I'm thinking, I don't even know if this is meaningful. But later, um, like for example, when my son went to college, the first Shabbat he was away, he called and said, can we light the candles together? Oh, that's beautiful. Don't always know the impact um, of what you do. It's, it's this familiar routine that touches something more than everyday life that um, makes an impression upon the heart and mind of children. Right, that's beautiful. It reminds me of the story, um, Dr. Tobin Hart, you may have met him at one of your, your um, the conferences, but he had a story about a, a four-year-old and every night his dad, the um, father would sing goodnight Irene to her before she went to bed. And one night he was sort of in a hurry. And so he forgot to, you know, just put her to bed and forgot to sing. And she was very upset. And she said, daddy, what's wrong? What's wrong? And, and he said, nothing, honey. And he, she said, but you didn't um, sing me goodnight onion rings. <laughs> I, that just that story just really touched my heart. I agree well, with you so much about storytelling. I, I'm also a storyteller. I've taken some classes in storytelling and I used to make up stories all the time for my kids and to, to teach them things, to, you know, to share things. To so I, I'm going to give you another um, experience yes. that relates to that. So uh, we happen to be talking right now in a time when we are all in quarantine. Yes. Uh, so this past Shabbat, um, you know, I, I, I was, one of my kids lived in town with my with grandchildren and the other lives out of town. And on that Friday night, we all got on a Zoom call to light mm -hmm. candles and say the blessings together. And that just, I feel deeply spiritual, you know, connect. Yes in a way with something from long ago that still speaks to us today. Absolutely, so important. And I, 
And I think that many people are losing, losing that and hopefully we'll remember now how important those things are, especially in light of everything that's going on in the, in the world right now. So, well, that's, I just love that. And I know you said, once again, in one of your interviews, when you were asked the question about nourishing the spiritual lives of children, you said, it's really happening when no one else is looking. What do you do when you see a homeless person? What do you do when you see a sick animal? How do you or we treat others? The children are always looking, and that's how we, as you said, the way we live our lives. Also, I would add uh, having time for quiet. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, our world is noisy. Uh, if it's not noisy because people are talking, it's noisy because there are sounds coming off the computer and the internet and we rarely have time to be still. So I'd like to talk um, about one or two of your books. We've talked a little bit about God's Paintbrush, and I know that you um, came out last year with the story of And, A-N-D, and I read that that actually um, had something to do with your life, that it kind of, <laughs> but, I, I've noticed a theme in in a few of your books that talks about, which is very interesting talking about this right now with the world um, where it is, the importance of us celebrating one another's diversity. You know, it doesn't matter if we're different or if, if one person's, well, just different, that we all need, we're all in this together and we... We need to recognize that. So um, what, what book would you like to talk about? Oh, that's so hard to say. <laughs> but I'd love to say something about and, and, okay. and about a few others. I mean, I, um, so where did I get this idea from? I was teaching actually a class with artists on the story of Cain and Abel. And I came across a um, commentary to that story, which said the mark that God put on Cain's forehead to protect him after he had killed Abel was the Hebrew letter Vav, which is the letter that is also a word, which is and. And I thought, wow, is that extraordinary? I mean, to put the word and on Cain's forehead. Right. And I'm thinking what God wanted to say was, it is not just about you. It's about you and your brother, right? Aren't you? Yes. I'm my brother's keeper. And everyone else. And it's a sign that we are all connected. And what we do to one person uh, impacts on all of us and in fact the world and then you know I'm researching the word and and I find that it's the most common word in the Bible because it always starts and God said <laughs> and so I think this is really powerful and it's about our need to connect to one another and to understand 
that even if we don't realize, we are connected. So how could I tell a story uh, rather than write a piece of philosophy? And it occurred to me that I could talk about different shapes and how different shapes, uh, if they would come together, could build something even grander. So in this story, there is a square and a triangle, uh, both of which sort of yell at each other and says, oh, you're terrible, you know, you're missing the square says the triangle, you're missing a side. And, and in the end, Anne comes along, puts them together in a square and a triangle, make a house. And many houses make a neighborhood. Nice. Uh, the one I particularly love is there's an oval and a line. And the oval and the line come together and they make a note, a musical note. Beautiful. And notes make a song. And so it's all about shapes that are very different in appearance uh, than each other. And what can, they're fine alone. I mean, they have their own integrity. Yes. But what happens when they come together? What do they build and what can they build? And I felt this was a, a good way of telling a story to kids, which they could also learn shapes and build yes. things shapes. And they could also talk about what it means to be with people who are not like us and right. what we might be able to do together. Mm. And, and a great story for me to write. I had so much fun with it. Yes. So what have, what are the greatest lessons the children have the children taught you, the ones that you've read the books to and in all of your teaching? Well, perhaps I can give you some examples. Yes. That, um, I love examples. That answer. So I remember one time reading the story of one of the vignettes in God's paintbrush in which um, I talk about God being an echo, like what's an echo uh, and how are you like God's echo? And I remember a young girl, elementary school, raising her hand and saying, you know, an echo doesn't have to be a sound. And I thought, wow. oh, she understands that the way in which we reflect the divine is not only how we speak, but also how we act in the world. And right. I thought that, that was a big philosophical jump that I felt very, very, uh, I was delighted by. Yes. And so I also have another book called God's, uh, In God's Name, in which God, uh, the story talks about people calling God by different names, mm -hmm. depending on their particular place in life. Uh, so, you know, that's a, someone who's nursing a baby calls God mother, somebody who um, is imprisoned, you know, calls God um, the one who, who brings freedom. Uh, someone who plants in the earth calls God creator. Someone who's lonely calls God friend. Um, and when I would read that book, I would often ask both children and adults to take a few moments and to find the name for God that feels closest to them. Mm. Because often we just use names that we've heard, like, you know, Lord, King, right. Adonai, Ruler, and they, they don't really relate to our lives. So I had many powerful experiences of people telling me their names for God. 
that I felt were prayers. Also learned that children um, can offer me a new perspective. They have this extraordinary sense of wonder and surprise that as we get older, we lose. Mm -hmm. And by being with children, you recapture that in very powerful ways. You sort of find that piece of the child that's still within you. Um, Absolutely. And that's, that's so much of what this podcast is about, you know, finding that, remembering. So what do you think these beautiful lessons teach all of us about God and the power of love? Well, so I, it reminds me of a Hasidic, uh, st- a brief Hasidic story where a rabbi says to his disciple, where is God? And the disciple says, oh my God, that's a ridiculous question, rabbi. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, isn't the whole earth full of God's glory? And then the rabbi says, God is wherever we let God in. Oh, wow. I want to create those opportunities for kids where they can let God, and we can use any word we want to say here, God, the (laughs) spiritual, the transcendent, the divine, into our lives. Because it um, opens us up to a deeper place in ourselves, and it opens us us up us to other people. And we so desperately need those connections. That's why one of my latest books, which I was going to mention also, is um, Who is My Neighbor? And it's all about two different towns, you know, a blue town and a yellow town (laughs) that won't talk to each other because they're so different, and how they find ways to connect and understand one another and enrich each other without losing who they are. Wow. I haven't read that one. I will, I will have to get that. Well, Sandy, you are doing, you are just doing amazing work. I, I love it. And especially in today's world, you know, our children need it more than ever. We need it more than ever. (laughs) Everyone does. So I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart um, for you coming on the show and just, just for these beautiful stories that you are, that you're sharing, that you're sharing with the world. So thank you. Well, it's delightful to be here. Thank you for uh, this opportunity. Absolutely. And if people want to find you, how would they do that? Well, I have a website. You won't be surprised by the title. It's www.all about and all about a n d great uh, dot com and uh i have a you can find all my books and i actually have two new books coming out so oh great and what are the names of those one is um a very big problem and the other is judy led the way which is the story of the first bat mitzvah oh That should be very fun. Well, thank you so much. And you stay, try to stay warm in Indiana, warm and safe. Oh, it's spring, they say. Yeah, that's what they say. Well, listen, you have a great day. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening in today. 
If you want to learn more about the show, you can find us at interviewswithinnocence.com and on Facebook or Instagram at interviewswithinnocence. Please write me a message. Tell me what you liked and let me know what else you would like to hear. I would love to hear from you. And if you liked what you heard, please leave us an iTunes rating and review. It helps other listeners find the show. Thank you.